Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're going to take a trip around the world on today's show. We're going to be talking about all of the purchasing managers' indexes as they uh, have come out. So that is the next kind of piece of the puzzle. Um, And we have got uh, several international correspondents on with us today. We're going to have Chung Lang, who's reporting from Asia. We're going to have Roy Slow, who's reporting from the U.K. and the E.U., we will also have Chad Lutre, who's joining us from the National Association of Manufacturers. And we have Robert Orr, who covers the 18 purchasing managers indexes from around the world and some of the regional ones here in the U.S. Before we get to any of our guests, we will get with Lou Weiss, who is up in our New Jersey studio. Lou, how are you today? Well, the snow is almost melted. It reached 87 yesterday. So that's, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, no, we're we're fine. We're cooking along. Things are uh, uh, business is uh, cooking along, and uh, uh, we have a lot of positive things coming in from our listeners on Manufacturing Talk Radio. So uh, everything is uh, a okay. Good. So let me so let me get to last week's show just so uh, for those of you who have not uh, listened to it, uh, we had Mark Dunlap. Uh, uh, President and CEO of Pivot International, uh, we were discussing the, the 12 months in manufacturing that's coming, uh, as well as the uh, essentially the global supply chain. Uh, the main part of that topic was actually about robots and uh, will it continue to replace uh, humans? And uh, we talked about the border tax. We talked about a lot of different things. I don't want to just skip over that uh, uh, robot, though, uh, because the story that's really made robots hot is that in February, Mr. Bill Gates made a proclamation that he would like to see that every robot that replaces a human should be taxed by the state, federal, state unemployment, state, federal uh, tax and federal taxes, as if that robot was an employee. Uh, idiotic. I mean, I've said it so often, I can't believe he even came up with that. He should just go right back to his philanthropies. He's doing a much better job there. But to stay out of taxation and all that stuff, not cool. So, anyway, that was uh, one of uh, last week's uh, segments. We also had Gary Brooks, CMO from Syncrom, uh, discussing the opportunities for manufacturers in the after sale, the third party. Uh, vendors uh, and how they should be uh, treated and dealt with in terms of uh, product and quality, and how the uh, Trump White House uh, might actually positively impact manufacturing and the supply chain. At least he talked a good game. Let's see how it plays out. That's about um, that's about it for. Um, Last week's uh, show is a good show. I think uh, we, some of the people liked it. Some of the people uh, like Bill Gates better. You know, so here we are. Now we're into a new week. Yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing up the tax issue on robots, Lou. 
it's always amazing to me how many people don't understand how manufacturing works. If you're going to tax a robot, then the manufacturer isn't going to put in a robot, and that Correct. means he's going to stay with his current headcount, even though we know that when they put in robots and new technology, it creates more jobs. You think they want more jobs, and that's where they get the tax money. Yeah, yeah, they don't get it. It's a, it's a, it's a more job killer. Anyway, let me get to a couple of news items that I, I found of some uh, interest. And it's really hard now to talk about manufacturing and not bring in politics into it. It's almost impossible. We tried, you and I, uh, months ago, we said, we're not going to talk politics. And now you can't talk manufacturing unless you're talking politics. Uh, we try not to pick on the guy too badly, though. Um, this is a biggie. Tim and I have been, uh, we had three shows regarding uh, XM Bank and how uh, the, uh, what was the congressman from uh, Georgia was effectively presenting, uh, preventing uh, transaction, loan transactions over $10 million. That's hurt companies like Boeing and Boeing hires employees and uh, you know it's just it's just stupid. So anyway, it seems as though that Mr. Trump has nominated Scott Garrett, good old boy Republican from New Jersey. We got him out of New Jersey now, um, and he has quite a background. Uh, he's been on uh, uh, fin- House Financial Committee uh, Services Committee. Uh, he's been on the House Budget Committee. Um, and he he's done a lot in that uh, in that world. Um, we did uh, uh, reauthorize the bank's charter in 2015, but not not able to fully loan out the monies that they were previously. So our hats are off to uh, XM Bank. Uh, I think it was a wise choice that uh, Mr. Trump decided to put an end to the absurdity that one man controlled so much power and decided to get somebody in so that the XM bank can fully functional and do what it's made out to be. And just for you folks who don't realize it, that XM bank is the only agency in the United States government that generates a profit. So think about that. So now I'm done. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, we have covered the XM Bank, and it's a, it's an important piece, important cog. And I realize it only does a couple of billion dollars in transactions, but we'll remind our listeners that uh, some of the largest OEMs in the country bid on jobs overseas using export banks overseas, not the ones here. And when that happens, the jobs go overseas. So I'm glad Trump woke up to it. All right, let's jump into our uh, international correspondence, and we're going to talk about what's happening around the world. Again with us is Chad McCray. He is the chief economist for the National Association of Manufacturers. For any of our listeners, if you are familiar or even unfamiliar with the NAM.org, we encourage you to go there. Some excellent reports come out. Uh, We are going to be speaking with Chad about his Monday morning report that came out. 
and also about the latest uh, survey of manufacturers to see where things are and see where things are headed. Chad, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. Thank you. It was great to be on your show. We appreciate hey, Chad, having you. By the way, I think we ought to, let's do this right from the beginning. Chad, what's your uh, uh, URL address so that they can get your Monday morning report? So if, if you go to www.nam.org, uh, A-O-R-G, uh, under data, you'll see the Monday Economic Report, and uh, that, that's, a, that's a great start. You can always email me as well, and we can try to add you to the list. Uh, I, I listen to the Monday Report as regularly as the fact that Monday exists in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> we won't say anything about the fact that sometimes there's holidays and the Monday Report comes out on Tuesdays, but you know that's just that's just a that's just a <laughs> little blip. Those are the oddities. That's the disclaimer. <laughs> okay. So I guess well, you, you want to talk about the outlook, right? Um, yeah, but I'll, why don't you give us a kind of a rundown of the Monday report because it's looking kind of long and strong here at the moment, and then we'll do the outlook survey. Sure, sure. I mean, I think you know where, where manufacturing is today. I think a lot of it. You, know, you, you go back to this point last year, uh, and, and uh, I'm sure when I was speaking with with your audience last year, we we talked quite a bit about just a lot of headwinds hitting the overall manufacturing sector. The global economy wasn't doing that fabulously, especially in China. Uh, but even in you know Brazil, other places, uh, and you contrast that kind of more dour outlook last year with this year, it's it's like night and day, right? Uh, yeah, and, 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 and you and you get a you get a, a, a clear sense that that manufacturing has turned a little bit of a corner, right? That that you 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 that overall output and production have moved in the right direction. Sentiment certainly has, and we'll get to that in the outlook comments. Uh, and, and not just in the U.S., but but you know we also when you look around the world, uh, it's pretty clear that some of the other markets that we sell into also have turned a corner. And I I think that that that's a large part of what's fueling uh, you know increased hiring, uh, overall expectations, which are much more positive than 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 we've seen in quite some time. And so you know if, if you're reading my Monday report, you see I'm almost oh, I, I'm coming up with different ways to say. Fastest growth since, <laughs> uh, using my thesaurus <laughs> a little bit, uh, because we certainly are seeing, you know, you know, the fastest growth in a couple of years, or sometimes since the recession, uh, and so uh, you know, th- those are all positive things to talk about, uh, and, and I think that that's really what 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 I see when I look at the employment data, when I look at overall sentiment numbers, um, and you know, just in general, just moving a little in the right direction. Sure How's that for an umbrella, umbrella view there? It, it sure seems that way, and it also seems that way in regards to my other company, All Metals and Forge Group. Uh, business has picked up. Uh, orders are – the order books are beginning to fill, and I think that's what everybody needs to hear, and that's that's really terrific. So, so the Outlook survey comes out when, Chad, and what is that showing so we do an uh, outlook survey once a quarter. So we surveyed uh, in this most recent one, we surveyed folks in the last two weeks of February, um, and it was released uh, in, in March. And, and, and as you know, we actually ended up releasing it kind of uh, around the same time as a White House meeting with small and medium-sized manufacturers. Um, so you know, President Trump has been doing a number of meetings with with business leaders and and. Uh, 
we were we were lucky enough to get uh, 12 small and medium-sized manufacturers in into the into the Roosevelt Room uh, with with him uh, to be able to really discuss really what some of the challenges they were having, and at that same time we released our survey, uh, and and you know the bottom line and certainly something that we heard. Uh, uh, the administration talking a lot about was that the the optimism number was at an all-time high. Uh, the survey, the NAM Manufacturers Outlook survey, has only been around for 20 years, and in the 20 years, that was the highest it's ever been. Uh, we had 93.3% of our members that were uh, positive about their own company's outlook, and so that that was obviously something to uh, to really talk about, and and it's certainly something the administration wanted to hear in, in the case of that meeting. By by the way, Chad, if you ever have a desire to bring in another company, manufacturing company, and a radio uh, broadcasting company into these types of meetings, we are we are more than willing to help you out. I, 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 you, can, you can guarantee that our phone was ringing off the hook that day, saying, I'm, "Me too." <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so so uh, I hear you. I hear you. Okay. And now, Chad, you also put out a Thursday report, a report that comes out on, is it the second or the third Thursday each month? It's the, it's the second Thursday of every month. It's the Global Manufacturing Economic uh, Update. Uh, and right. so much like the Monday Economic Report, uh, it, it just kind of highlights just some just general trends we're seeing in the global economy. It's something I added a few years ago because I noticed that I was writing a lot about global issues in my Monday report. <laughs> Just because the global economy just is, is that important, uh, and uh, so we kind of did a, sp- a spin-off once a month for the global trends. Okay. And, and you know, early, uh, we just got news um, that that the Chinese economy grew 6.9 percent in the in the fourth quarter. So I mean, that certainly is a sign. You know, going back to my comment earlier, uh, you know, what a difference a year makes. Uh, last time everyone was, you know, last time this year. Uh, we were worried about China sending us into a global recession this year. Obviously, they've they've seemed to have stabilized and they've turned uh, uh, actually grew a little bit faster than they had the previous quarter. So that that's a, obviously a nice positive sign. Which which only goes to prove that economists use best guess methodology to forecast <laughs> the future. <laughs> Well, we only know we only know what we know, right? Uh, uh, right. We, we, we all those uncertainties uh, we don't know. Uh, right. You only know what you know at the moment that you know. It. Yeah, and and when we get new data, our, our, we can change our minds, right? That, that's yeah, the way it works. Absolutely. Uh, that's absolutely. We you know we have been seeing better data coming out of China for a while, and so this was not totally un, unheard of to have a 6.9 percent growth rate. That's a year of a year number. Uh, but but still, it is it is it is it is a, it's a sign of just how much things have changed. The other thing on the global front, uh, the one thing that I think we've talked about this on this show too, uh, we're getting really strong numbers out of Europe, especially Germany um, and the yeah. Netherlands, et cetera. Uh, Germany is our our fifth largest trading partner, so uh, excuse me, so our sixth largest trading partner. So uh, that's an important market for us. Uh, and uh, we're seeing really strong growth there, pretty much brushing off all of the political uncertainty that you hear about in the news. Uh, uh, and so that, uh, including Brexit, but but even the, you know the French elections and a lot of other things that are creating some some question marks there. So that's mm-hmm. another 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 reason why I think you're seeing some stronger export numbers is that uh, we're again we're seeing some some of our, those key markets that we sell into uh, a lot better economic data. 
Ted, did you talk to any of your uh, survey uh, respondents about their confidence in them getting the things that NAM has been urging for some time, tax reform, regulatory reform, health care reform? Is the confidence rising in that area if this is really going to happen? So I think that that's a great a great question, and uh, you know a large part of why you know not just the NAM survey but a lot of other surveys you've seen you know confidence go through the roof, uh, and, and a large part of that is just this expectation that we're going to be getting pro-growth policies coming out of the new administration, uh, and, and along those lines, you know we ask every quarter, uh, you know what are some of the top challenges that you have? What are what is your 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 major challenge? Uh, and for as long as I've been doing this survey, uh, business environment and an unfavorable business climate has been either number one or number two. Um, and usually getting somewhere around 75 to maybe as much as 80% of our of our respondents saying that that's their top challenge. So that's tax that's you know the desire to have tax reform, it's regulatory burdens, et cetera. That particular uh, answer fell to third place uh, in this survey. It fell to to uh, 58.2 percent, uh, and mm. and uh, you know the way I certainly interpret that is that many of our manufacturing members uh, expect that that those things are going to happen, right? <laughs> that we will get tax reform. Um, we already are starting to get a number of regulatory relief actions. Uh, I think the president signed I think uh, 13 Congressional Review Act. Uh, uh, pieces of legislation already so far. So I think that, that there is just that expectation out there that those things are going to happen. Now, um, to be fair, this, this survey was conducted before uh, we didn't get the Obamacare um, stuff through the House. Uh, right. But I, I still think that, you know, again, when we talk to a lot of our members, uh, there is that expectation out there that tax reform is going to happen hopefully sometime this year. Okay. Well, I think they'll probably circle back to health care anyway. At some point, they're going to have to address it. So, yeah, you certainly are hearing that um, that that uh, they need they need that part of it to be able to make tax reform work. If not, obviously, it just makes that that much harder. But um, I think tax reform is definitely one of those things that that uh, the administration really wants to get done. So I think I think that obviously bodes well for us. One of the things we heard a lot about. Uh, was infrastructure spending and a trillion dollars that might go into infrastructure. You're clearly closer to the hill than we are. What are you hearing about that actually moving forward? Well, we continue to hear that the that the administration is going to be putting out their infrastructure proposal shortly. I don't know exactly when that will be, but I, I have heard that uh, they will start putting out that that plan in, in soon. And, and and I think we're optimistic that. Uh, something will happen on infrastructure either later this year or beginning of next year. Uh, that's at least that my sense of of what's going to happen, and at least on that issue. Um, but but we have heard that the infrastructure uh, will likely be unveiled, at least the the president's proposals, at some point in the near future. So let me, let me ask you a question, uh, Chad, um, and, and it's, I think it's really kind of way off the mark, but I'm going to ask you anyway. You don't have to answer. Uh, the the entire uh, uh, voting world of the of the United States they were they were panicked about the election they were panicked about who's going to get in whether it's Hillary or or Trump uh, and when Trump got in there was a segment of the population that was like really freaking out and 
demonstrating and so on, so on and so forth. Meanwhile, he's uh, flip flopped, and I and I don't say that in a negative term. He's flip flopped on a lot of the things that he said he was going to do or not do, and it seems as though that he is beginning to come to a more centrist uh, position and uh, maybe even making things happen and work. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, I think, you know, I, I, there's a, a lot of stories in the last week or so about um, that happening, and, and I think one of the things that's happening is he's listening to a lot of business leaders, <laughs> uh, you know, yep. much like the small and medium-sized members that we took in uh, a few weeks ago. I, he's been listening to a lot of business leaders, and uh, I think that, that he's getting that counsel, um, and I think yep. that's been uh, helpful in convincing him about, for instance, the importance of the Export-Import Bank. Right. That's certainly right. something that on the campaign trail he was he was not supportive of, uh, but now he has said that, that he is, right? And I, I think, you know, things like that um, are, you know, there's a clear influence coming from the business community, mm -hmm. I think, in those conversations. And so I think that that's, that's, that's obviously wonderful that, um, he, number one, he's flexible in terms of, of listening to, to, to sound advice. Uh, and uh, I think it just means that as, as a business community, we need to be even more vocal and, and make sure that he uh, he hears what, what our concerns are. Is this the same event that we weren't invited to? Is that the one with us? <laughs> that, that, I think that, that is the one. Uh, that is the one. Um, <laughs> But he has meetings well, all the time. We just you just have to convince him to to, to do something for your show. Right? Can I? Well, I, I understand that, and uh, you know we we need all the help we can. <laughs> and uh, this is not a John McLaughlin show, as you know. Uh, we're very supportive about getting real information out, and you know that's just terrific. Uh, but it does seem as though that he's coming more centrist in and listening to people who. Uh, have a lot of smarts in regards to uh, the way things should be done and uh, 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 processed. So I, I appreciate your, your input on that. See, I did answer your question. See, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chad, it looks like that the National Association of Manufacturers some months ago put out their competing to win roadmap. They had 11 categories well laid out in that document and it would appear that in your conversations or what we're hearing from conversations that have taken place with the administration that all of those are moving in the right direction are there resistances to any of them well i mean i think uh in, you know in general i think the, the administration has been very open to listening to to us on each of those those areas um, i mean certainly there are there continues to be a dialogue with them on trade Right. Uh, although I did just mention export import bank, right? But I, I, right. there is still, you know, the administration clearly is committed to uh, renegotiating NAFTA, and so we we want to be helpful where we can on that. Um, they, I guess he's not going to label China a currency manipulator, right? So that's uh, right. I guess progress. Um, but I, I, so I, I think that, that that there still is work to be done on the trade front is is one area. Um, I think immigration is another area where I think that uh, we want to continue to work with the administration to to, to show them uh, at least what our view is on that. And so, but but otherwise, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of a lot of real positives there for us to continue to work on. 
Well, we certainly want to congratulate the National Association of Manufacturers. You've been doing terrific work. Uh, I know that uh, it appears now that these things are moving in the right direction for manufacturing, and manufacturers beginning to reflect that. Um, the other thing that we're hearing, and just in closing, I want to uh, ask about with you, Chad, is that the mood of the large manufacturers seems to be more in taking their uh, current profits and putting them in possibly mergers and acquisitions and capital expenditures rather than uh, paying down debt or increasing their dividend. Are you feeling that kind of a sway as well uh, with NAM members? I mean, I think that there is, there's always going to be a desire to um, find efficiencies where you can. And uh, I think especially in an environment where, you know, the dollars appreciated 25% uh, over the last two and a half years, uh, especially in a global economic environment where there's still a lot of uncertainties out there. Um, I think that companies are going to continue to look to see where they can drive some more, you know, uh, efficiencies and see where they can be more productive. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes that means investments in new technologies, and you, you certainly have seen a fair share of that happen in the last few years. Um, but I think the other kind of easy way is to is to do some mergers and acquisitions or some splits, even some splits. Um, and so uh, I, I think you're going to continue to see that happen. Um, I don't see that slowing down in any way. Um, and I think that just simply more than anything speaks just to, again, that drive, that continued drive to, to cut costs where you can. And uh, in the case of some of the spinoffs, um, uh, you know, seeing seeing what they can to 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 uh, to make it more productive. Great. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Chad, I enjoy having you on the show. We've been speaking with Chad Mutre, who's the chief economist for the National Association of Manufacturers. Again, if you're a member, even if you're a non-member, we greatly encourage you to go to nam.org, become a member, getting access to all the great information that the NAM puts together for manufacturing across America. Chad, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it as well. And I'd like to just point out to our listeners that there's over 200 podcasts that we have had uh, significant uh, guests on, like Chad Moutre. And our website is Manufacturing Talk Radio at mfgtalkradio.com. As we continue our global survey here, joining us is Norbert Orr, who is a senior international correspondent for Manufacturing Talk Radio. He is also uh, working with Strategus Research Partners up in New York. They do a lot of great work for their clients and helping their clients understand what's coming up in the near future. He puts out two terrific reports and a scattergram that we all just love. Norbert, thank you for being back on Manufacturing Talk Radio. My pleasure. Always good to be with you. So let's uh, maybe start with uh, North America this time around, Norbert, and look at Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Um, things looking strong at the moment, I think. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, last last month we talked about we might be at a peak and uh, didn't talk a lot about what happens after, if we are at a peak, what happens after that. So it's right. discussing that a little bit. Um, the uh, the peak, we called the peak last month, and apparently it, it hit uh, as uh, the PMI uh, was down slightly from 57.7 to 57.2. Uh, 
And the, the reason we called the peak last month is uh, new orders hit 65.1. And at that level, it's very hard to repeat, and it didn't. Uh, it fell off, and so uh, uh, what, then the question is, what happens after the peak? And uh, the work that we've done would indicate that uh, uh, hitting the peak is not the worst thing. Uh, it's generally not an indication of major decline or anything of that type. It, it's more a flattening or plateauing of economic growth in the near term, which manufacturing is growing quite strongly. Uh, if you take the 57.2, I, I think uh, if the overall economy was growing as fast as manufacturing right now, we'd have GDP up above 4%. So the manufacturing sector has done uh, really well with that. Um, and so uh, it being over the top is not a big issue. Uh, there's a lot of room to run. I think we've got another 24 to 48 months uh, right. that, uh, that we can continue to see uh, manufacturing hold up quite nicely. Uh, after that, uh, that's, that's really getting into a long-range forecast, and it's dependent upon tax cuts, uh, Obamacare, uh, a lot of things that Washington is, is doing. Uh, the two things I think we have to be alert to right now, one is uh, Detroit and the other is Washington. Detroit from the standpoint that um, the auto industry uh, has had a long run and the auto industry supports a lot of manufacturing. And if, uh, if, if it falls off significantly, uh, that's going to have a, a big impact on manufacturing and could shorten the, the cycle from that. Uh, the other is, is Washington. Uh, as much as uh, 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 we're, we're trying to, to uh, uh, organize, reorganize, as much as they're trying to reorganize the government and the way the government thinks and acts and so on, it's still uh, the major influence on uh, on the future between what the Congress does, the Supreme Court does, the Fed does, uh, the, uh, uh, and the administration does. So uh, those are things that are uh, very, very difficult to predict right now. Uh, but as far as North America is concerned, the U.S. is doing well, and that usually means that our neighbors to the north and south are, are doing better. Canada uh, reported growth for the 13th consecutive month, and that's the highest level since November of 14. Uh, so a very solid month for Canada. Uh, Mexico uh, was up to 51.5, which is a little better uh, tracking than what we saw the prior month when it was uh, nine-tenths of a point less. Uh, at the same time, and Mexico's had 45 consecutive months of growth, so uh, certainly, that's not uh, that's not that bad. And uh, if you factor in uh, that the U.S. is now uh, looking at its uh, seventh month of expansion, uh, then, then the month that they that it was not expanding was not that weak. But anyway, seventh month uh, of of expansion overall. Uh, things look good in North America. Uh, if I go down and look at the indexes, it's, it's difficult to uh, imagine a scenario that would be a, a lot better than where we are right now. 
What about uh, as we go down south into South America? I know there's some real difficult spots, Brazil, Venezuela, maybe Ecuador. How are those countries doing? Uh, none of those are, are really uh, performing at a level that, uh, that, that allows them to uh, see significant economic growth. Uh, Brazil is, is, is in at least a manufacturing recession, if not an overall recession. Uh, and the other countries uh, are so small. Uh, Brazil is, is, and Argentina and Chile are the big biggest economies, and, and none of those is uh, setting any records for economic growth, to uh, be uh, brutally frank. Yeah, two I think didn't the, even, two of them didn't even make the uh, uh, the <laughs> Right, right. Uh, well, and frankly, uh, Lou, uh, Brazil really represents that area of the world. If Brazil is doing fairly well, then most of the others are doing okay. Uh, uh, I see. And okay. So it's kind of the the, the stalking horse for that uh, part right. of the world. Right. Got it. And as long as oil remains plentiful, I think uh, South America is going to continue to struggle. Uh, yeah, and it looks like oil is going to remain uh, plentiful. Um, uh, you know, and it's just not just South America; it's Central America too. But Trinidad is uh, highly dependent upon oil and gas, and uh, they, they too are struggling with uh, low prices. Well, uh, we'll we'll uh, keep them in our prayers, but let's jump over to to England and the UK. You know, the Brexit action, the separation has begun. Uh, is there really any impact on manufacturing? Everybody thought it was going to be a catastrophe. Now it looks like it's going to be a ho-hum event. I, you know, we're eight months past the vote, and during that uh, eight months, uh, the uh, U.K. economy has averaged uh, 54.3, if I remember right, Um and so uh, to, to this point, I don't think Brexit has had 54.2. Uh, I don't think Brexit's had any real impact uh, when the, most recently, you know, they had to sign off. And now is when we ought to start to see some of the things happening. Uh, I think uh, uh, they'll see, you know, uh, a significant amount of change based on what happens with the French election uh, and how it goes and uh, what the attitude the French have toward trading with the U.K., uh, either through the EU or separate from the EU. Uh, that'll be a challenge for that. Uh, but as manufacturing goes, the U.K. Is, uh, has held up very nicely, and uh, uh, the challenge is just starting, though, when they start to redefine some of the relationships. Right. I know that uh, the EU wants to make that um, something of a punishment or severe. I'm not, as Trump said when he was running for office, you know, China's a currency manipulator. We're going to put tariffs <laughs> on China and Mexico. I wonder until if yesterday. two years down the road, yeah, until <laughs> yesterday, I wonder if two years down the road we're going to see the same thing with Brexit. Um 
I, I think the the net impact, uh, and uh, a lot of people would argue one way or the other, but my my thought is that supply chains don't pay a lot of attention to treaties and all these other things. Uh, people build supply chains that are as efficient as they can make them to run their business, and uh, they're not into the, the politics as much of it. Now, if you're in the aircraft business, you probably are because they're political. But uh, a lot of other things, uh, most supply chains are, are not uh, that political. And I, I think we'll see that uh, the smartest thing the U.K. ever did was maintaining their own currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the EU could work well, uh, but they got carried away with the idea that they needed one central currency and didn't really stop to think about, okay, this all works pretty good when businesses or when the economy is growing. When the economy is contracting, uh, it doesn't work worth a darn. So uh, I, I, I think you'll see more and more. I've been following the Czech Republic because they're supposed to go into the currency. They've been in the EU for 10-plus years. They were supposed to go into the currency this year. It looks like they're going to vote not to go, uh, which really violates the treaty and everything else. But I suspect uh, if they're strong enough in their belief uh, and stay in the EU for trade purposes, that uh, they'll let them out of the currency issue. Hmm, interesting. Well, that's kind of uh, an unexpected uh, development, and I know that uh, candidate Le Pen in France is saying she will take France out of the EU. Uh, I think that would be a calamity if that occurred. Uh, How would you read it if France decided to pull a Frexit? Well, France and Italy are the two wild cards at this point. If if one or both of them decides to exit the, the currency, uh, or exit completely, uh, that's going to present a lot of challenges because, the, the, again, the balance of having 24 countries or whatever the number is, uh, many of them are small, non-producing, uh, and so they're just along for the ride. Uh, and the EU has been an expensive currency for them because uh, – that they don't, you know, uh, Germany benefits more than anybody else from the EU because they're such a global trader and uh, uh, highly dependent upon uh, uh, being able to uh, uh, be, being able to integrate their operations across the European continent. Norbert, is there any significant manufacturing, and I honestly don't know, uh, excluding Russia, in the area of the Middle East and uh, Eastern Europe that's not part of the EU? Uh, No, (laughs) is the the easy answer. There's manufacturing, but uh, it's uh, on a relatively small scale. It's mostly food and beverage related uh, to feed people. but uh, there is manufacturing, but it's it's not manufacturing as we know it or as the Germans know it or the French know it. Okay. How is Russia getting along these days? Uh, their economy doing well? Are they going to be a significant player moving up here? Uh, I, I don't think uh, Russia really has the heart and soul to prosper 
under the the current regime, under the current uh, uh, thought process as to what makes an economy successful. Uh, you know, it's it's like the negotiations going on right now. It seems like we're, uh, the U.S. is negotiating with China, and that negotiation is going quite well because we have a lot of common trade interests with China. Right. Uh, in Europe, uh, the trade interests have been between Europe and the Soviet Union, and particularly uh, with regard to energy. But now that uh, there's a, a glut of energy available globally, uh, Russia really loses their uh, their ties to uh, the European continent. Uh, right. Now, of course, everybody seems to watch China. I know that a couple of years back uh, when we were doing manufacturing talk radio, there was so much talk about China's economy was pulling back. Their GDP was declining into single digits. It was the end of the world. None of that came to pass. How are they doing that? Uh, we we follow two surveys. Uh, one is the official China survey, uh, which is the China Federation of Logistics and Purchasing, uh, and the Kaishin survey. Uh, both of those are pointing upward, uh, not uh, not given to very strong movement. Uh, any uh, month that we would have a half a point uh, change uh, would be a uh, would be a significant change as far as those economies are concerned. Uh, according to what we can tell about Russia, the economy is growing at about six percent, and so it's growing at a reasonable pace. Uh, and both surveys kind of confirm that uh, uh, there is some uh, growth, and it's recently accelerated slightly. Uh, so uh, China is knows that they they one have to have uh, support from the United States to, for the consumer products and so on, and uh, they, they know that the. Uh, uh, overall picture is they they have to go from being a uh, capital-based economy to a consumer-based economy in China to where they become their own customer for a lot of their products. And so uh, they're going to work, I think, very closely with the U.S. to make sure that there's no barriers that are put in place. So much for the tariffs that... uh uh, President Trump was go- Trump is going to impose. Yeah, right? uh, uh, the, the, if indeed that was ever the case. Uh, uh, so far, if you look at the the track record, uh, Trump started with an extreme position, and then worked his way back to a very good position. Uh, with uh, all the parties that he's dealt with, whether it's Russia. Uh, or the China, or, and getting China involved in North Korea. Uh, China can do something about North Korea, Korea where it's much more difficult for us. And so uh, I think those things have worked. Uh, I keep relying on uh, the fact that Trump is a good businessman, a successful businessman, and nobody long-term is successful in business making dumb decisions. <laughs> and, it's very true. 
I, I, I think the the situation with uh, with the president is he's not going to make dumb decisions. What he's going to do is take a strong position and then say, okay, now work me out of that position. Uh, right. You know, right, his position right. on NATO. He had NATO eating out of his hand because he took a strong position. Said we may not need to do that. And he also got them starting to pay the bills. So he's dumb like a fox, huh? It, so far, it would certainly seem that uh, his uh, taking uh, his propensity for exaggeration and taking strong positions ultimately works in his favor. Mm-hmm. So, so it's seeming. Pardon me. Yeah. So well, uh, there, there's a number of uh, number of good stories around all of that right now. I, I would uh, have we got another minute, Tim? Sure, please. Sure. Okay. Sum it up for us. Uh, I, I met with a, a couple of companies, uh, manufacturing companies, and uh, one of the uh, one of the people was the CFO for the company. And I, I used a slide in which I talked about what companies can do with their free cash flow. And if you're a publicly held company, you can engage in stock buybacks. Uh, and uh, you can also dividend, uh, in, uh, apply dividend increases. Uh, you mm-hmm. can pay off debt is another thing that, that you can do with it. Then the last two of, of the five that, uh, that I li- have listed are you can spend money on uh, mergers and acquisitions, or you can spend money on CapEx and R&D. And one of the things I'm seeing and hearing in the people in manufacturing I'm talking to, talking to is that they've moved from the first three, stock buybacks, dividend increases, and payoff debt, to where they're more focused on mergers and acquisitions and CapEx and R&D. Those have more growth associated with them. And right. certainly good for manufacturing. So I see that as a real positive uh, as we continue to uh, uh, to try to accelerate the growth in the economy. Well, that's, a, that's an excellent that's an excellent point, and uh, I'm sure listeners uh, are their ears perked up when you said that about mergers and acquisitions. Um, there are a lot of baby boomer types that own businesses. I could think of a few. Uh, who are looking for ways to bail out and uh, come out whole. So that's that's an excellent point. Yeah. Well, Norbert, we appreciate you uh, kind of taking us on a trip around the world and the various economies and what's happening in manufacturing. Thank you for that last point. We're going to reemphasize that because it's incredibly important. We're all looking for the capital expenditures to increase because you're right, that's where – Uh, Growth becomes stronger. So thank you for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Thank you, Norbert. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. 
How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Roy Slow, who's our senior international correspondent who covers the U.K. and the E.U. for us. He is actually reporting from France, but he follows that all those countries over there to see what's happening. Roy, thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, Tim, and uh, yourself? I'm well, very well, thank you. We're doing, we're doing well. We're doing well. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, good. Good. I'm doing good, too. <laughs> Yeah, that was on the horn. I figured I'd horn in here and let everybody know I'm here. Well, tell us, pick a a country, uh, and I'm curious, quite frankly, about France. What's happening with the election? Well, uh, we've um, we've got a few days before the first round. The first round is on the 23rd of April, which I make, that makes it next Sunday. And uh, right at the moment, it looks as though uh, people have been saying for quite a while that uh, Marine Le Pen is going to win the, f- the first round. Uh, as you know, they have two rounds in, in France. And if there's no absolute majority, which there really is, uh, then it goes to a, a runoff the following week. So um, uh, odds are on Marine Le Pen winning the first round. And then odds are on uh, people ganging up on her to make sure she doesn't win the second one. Uh, that's what that's what's happened in the past. That's what happened with her father. And uh, we're figuring uh, that um, it's going to happen again. But of course, with uh, you know with what's happened in the last year, so uh, one never knows. The uh, the guy who who basically had it, and people were saying it was his to lose, is this young guy called uh, Macron who is about, I think he's 39, and uh, he was the uh, trade minister, the, the uh, f- finance minister in the, uh, uh, in the Hollande government before, before he quit to decide to run for president. And he has this uh, party that is headed up, which is not even a year old, called uh, En Marche, which means in English, On the Move. And uh, it's very possible that this guy will uh, will become president. Uh, 
there is a there is an older guy called Mélenchon who is right on the left. He's, he's far left. Uh, Marine Le Pen, of course, is uh, far right. Then you have the guy uh, Fillon, who uh, this is the guy who was accused of uh, well, probably did uh, pay his wife for doing nothing over a number of years. And uh, he's, he's the Republican Party, which I guess you could say is centre-right. And uh, that's, those four are, are about, uh, the, these are the four people who are going to be heading towards the winning post. What's going to happen with manufacturing in uh, France and Europe? What's going on there now? Is it the strong? Is it weak? Uh, you know, we we hear well. It's, uh, well, yeah, France has come. France has come up the last uh, the last three or four months. It's, uh, it's it's actually been doing quite well. I mean, it's it's number it's number seven on the um, on the eight list. It's fifty three point three PMI, uh, but it is doing it is doing pretty well. And uh, this is this is why. Uh, hopefully, this uh, Macron will, uh, will will get the job because he's he, he's very very much uh, uh, number one is very much a European, uh, and number two is very much into uh, making it much easier for people to start the, to start their own companies. This is something that France and other countries in Europe uh, are lacking in. For example, compared to the UK and the US, uh, to start a company is uh, is tough. Uh, hence, th this is probably uh, uh, because we're in a high-tech world. Uh, th this this is probably one of the things that push that pushes France behind a little bit. But uh, we think that um, we think that this guy will be would be good for the country, and we think that manufacturing will will, will follow along. Right at the moment, it's looking okay. It's 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 looking much better than it was uh, six months ago. Well, the French economy probably would pick up by at least uh, 8% uh, if they work 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's another joke that, uh, that that we have in France. It's it's actually it's actually quite true. It's actually quite serious that uh, the French have been polled, and they said, "Well, really, uh, work for us is secondary. We just like to live and have a good time." <laughs> well, then so they can't complain the fact about that they can the get fifty-three point three just just uh, putting work in second place and having a good time says an awful lot. <laughs> They've actually got much higher productivity in France than they have in the UK. Well, I didn't say the UK the was any better. Rate. If they drank less beer, you know, they'd probably get an eight percent higher GDP. <laughs> 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 uh, we love them well, though. I mean, we may want to move back. <laughs> we may want to move back if things don't work out here. <laughs> right. Well. If, if, if things don't work out for me, did you say? Well, I, yeah, I, I would definitely say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, you're, we're, you're, uh, you're we living on some, the lap of the land. We have some uh, people with uh, jackhammers up on the Appalachian Trail trying to chisel off the 13 colonies, and we're going to float them back over to Mother England. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
uh, African population in certain countries that are more stable uh, have a very well-educated, skilled population base that works at very low labor weights, and we may see some of that being used if we have difficulty finding uh, people for jobs here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. is mm-hmm. certainly looking at Africa as a possible labor source. Right. Uh, it, yeah. it we did that once. Well, of course, there are. I mean, the the uh, you know, the, if if you take if you take North Africa, of course, I mean, the uh, the population of um, of France is about eight percent. Well, it's about eight percent Muslim, and and most of these come from uh, come from North Africa, uh, particularly from uh, Morocco and Algeria. Um, so they they are they automatically um, become part of the. Uh, of, of the economy, um, but um, as far as uh, as far as in the general in general terms, are they uh, are they looking to uh, bring in more and more people? Uh, well, uh, if people want to come to France, uh, for the most part, uh, they're welcome at the moment. Um, th- there are people, of course, who like as every place else in the world want to want to keep it to a reasonable level. Uh, right. Uh, the, I mean, the French unemployment rate is is just is hovering around ten percent. So uh, you know there isn't room for for an awful lot of uh, uh, workers from other countries anyway. But uh, as What's I say, it's, uh, sorry, uh, 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 Royce. Uh, there's something that I, I've seen uh, in, in some of the technical journals and such over the last couple of months. And there's a technology coming out of uh, Norway uh, where, for lack of a better name, they call it wave technology. And what they've done is – are you familiar with it? Are you talking about waves as in waves on the ocean or or some other wave? (laughs) No, 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 no. Right. You mean to to generate generate power? Yes, correct. Right. So I guess you know about it. Well, well I've heard point. of it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not terribly well versed in it, but I, you know, I, I, I read from time to time that this. I don't think Norway is the only country that's got it, but uh, no, I, 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 I think, think you guys they, have got it. Uh, well, we just take what we get, want, you know. It's, uh, we'll, we'll steal your technology. But interestingly enough, uh, there is uh, there there are certain islands out in the Pacific. Where the where the uh, waves and the currents are very strong there, and they're looking to do uh, the similar uh, technology. Uh-huh. Apparently, it's quite uh, it's quite effective. It's 24 hours a day, and uh, right. it generates a lot of electricity with not a big, uh, not a huge uh, in, uh, cash in, uh, investment. So I, I uh-huh. thought you might know, know something more about it because I I know it did pop out of Norway and I think that we're talking about is here in New England, uh, in the U.S. Uh, you know the yeah. 13 colonies yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, and now the uh, the uh, Pacific Islands are looking to invest in that. So mm-hmm. just share sharing a story with you. Well, I think if we I think if we all get together and 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 do it properly be, between sun and water and wind, we can we can yeah. do an awful lot of good, can't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. 
No doubt about it. So, Royce, the uh, sense here in the U.S. is that as the economy recovers, and some economists will tell us that we have never actually recovered from the Great Recession in 2008, uh, and we may mm-hmm. get there soon. What's uh, the prognosis here is that the current economic cycle looks to continue to expand for several years, which would make it the longest mm-hmm. expansion in the history of the U.S. What's the sense in Europe right. in terms of how things are going? Well, I, I, I don't think we uh, I don't think we tend to uh, look that that far ahead, but um, the. the there's no doubt that this thing hit everybody, and there's no doubt that we're still really coming out of it. Um, there is an optimism, uh, and, and there's an optimism everywhere over here that, uh, that, that things are getting that, that much better. And, uh, and of course, you've got, um, uh, you, you've, you've got a dynamism that you didn't have uh, a few years ago. And... Um, for example, we've got um, we've got markets. Here. You know, we took, you, you were mentioning Africa, for example, uh, a few minutes ago about the uh, the people coming. Uh, you know, people uh, using Africa, uh, Africans for for labour. But it's also it could also be a, uh, a tremendous market one day, and uh, this this could help the. Uh, the the, the European economy, the UK economy, which is another, you know, that's another story. But, um, um, but there is an optimism that uh, that, that according to uh, the sources that I read, they haven't seen uh, for for some good number of years, uh, and uh, we're just expecting it to uh, to carry on. But there again, as as we know. <laughs> um, Things might happen, but uh, at the moment it's looking, it's looking very good. It's looking very good. Great. Well, I would, I would say things are looking pretty good all, all around. Uh, you know, we're yeah, we, they we are. Talk, we yeah. Talk, we talked with a lot of economists and uh, uh, business uh, orgs and associations, and uh, they're mm-hmm. all feeling uh, pretty cheery. And uh, yeah, I think this is the first time in a long, long time that. Uh, uh, there's a, a very wide berth uh, in regards mm-hmm. to the manufacturing sector, particularly that uh, they're feeling good. So, so that said, yeah, yeah, I can just mention that even in the uh, even in the uh, in the UK, where the people have been saying bad things and good things, and mostly bad things for a few months, uh, apparently. Uh, over half the the companies are forecasting uh, increased production in a year's time, and only six percent uh, a decrease. So everybody seems to be um, optimistic. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, we'll uh, see how this all plays out. Royce, we certainly appreciate you being uh, with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio again, and bringing us up to speed in the uh, UK and the EU. And we'll talk to you again next month. We're speaking with Chung Wang, who is our senior international correspondent from Asia. He's actually reporting from China, and he covers what's happening in Asia. Chung, how are you this morning? Good morning, Tim. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Good. Glad to have you on the air with us. Uh, You've got a number of uh, subjects you wanted to cover. Why don't we jump into the China PMI and GDP? Okay, certainly. 
the uh, PMI, the GDP numbers from last month just came out today. It turned out to be higher than expected. It turned out to be 6.8% year-on-year growth uh, from last year. And uh, it's also higher than the target of 6.5%. So I think overall, China's GDP growth is, uh, is rel- rather stable for the year and most likely will reach the target. And uh, last month's urban real estate investment was up by 8.8%, and consumer spending was up by 9.7% uh, year on year, of course. So these are all indicators that the, the market uh, in China is growing. Uh, the manufacturing PMI index, uh, as reported by Taishin, Taishin Manufacturing, is, um, has been slow. It's uh, 51.2, and it's down 0.5% points from February. However, the, although the new orders, uh, growth in new orders has declined, but backlogs are increasing and, uh, and production has increased. Also, costs are rising and uh, prices are rising as well. Manufacturing employment, on the other hand, has declined slightly. Uh, in this, although in this situation, most firms continue to express optimism towards the 12-month biz- business outlook because uh, it is expected that with the recent meeting be- between President Trump and President Xi, the two countries will be discussing an, a trade deal which uh, will, first of all, remove the, the threat of 45% taxes on trade, and most companies that have uh, American manufacturing companies that may have either the front end or the back end of their production uh, line in this, uh, this part of the world now can take a breath because President Trump has announced that China is not a con- currency man- manipulator and he will not be imposing uh, taxes. Uh, well, it's amazing how he white waves his arm and he can make things appear and disappear. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Quite, kind of yeah. like magic. <laughs> <laughs> on as the other hand, that, uh, as we get into that, uh-huh. song, you know, we were just talking about uh, although the growth is slightly slower in China and uh, the backlogs are increasing, I want you to just interject yes. for a moment. What's happening with the Shanghai port? Yeah, there's a, there has been a major congestion in Shanghai port for the past week. Uh, this is uh, the Shanghai port is currently completely stuffed with containers. They have no more capacity to to uh, for new containers to come in. So a lot of the ships are waiting out in sea to unload or load their products. And this is products coming from all over the world and going out to all over the world. Um, there are several factors uh, that has to do with this congestion, but mostly it's reported that uh, in in the past month some of the shipping lines have been overselling their comp- capacity. They've been overselling 50 to 100% of their shipping capacity. And that's why when it comes time to load the ships, well, 50%, well, either one-third or half of the containers may not be able to get on the ship, and they're stuck in port because they're already past customs. And that oh. has caused... Right? That's pretty amazing, right? Uh, you're thinking United oversells their seats. Well, these shipping lines are even worse. I even heard a wow. rumor that some of the containers refused to leave, and they had to drag them off. Anyway. <laughs> That's like the fellow in United <laughs> Airlines that they, 
chose him to get dumped off of the plane, and he punched him in the nose and dragged him off because he refused yeah, to leave. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Same Actually, thing. Exact same thing. Exact same thing. <laughs> only, only there's no punch nose and such because right. the shipping lines. When they are overbooked, they have to arbitrarily decide which containers get leave, left behind. And those companies that, that has their goods left behind are all crying foul. So a lot of companies are uh, in a difficult position now. They won't be getting their goods in time. Uh, however, it is believed that this will be a temporary situation because uh, the overbooking is not is not policy. The the, uh, the policy of shipping line overbooking is usually about 30%. The reason why this month there is such a high overbooking uh, rate is because that 10 of the shipping lines have formed new alliances, and these new alliances at the beginning of the month, on April Fool's Day, um, and these new alliances are adjusting their shipping uh, arrangements and they're putting in larger ships to the Sino-U.S. shipping lane. So uh, according to some reports, the ships going to the U.S. may be double the size uh, it used to be, Uh, of course, coming back as well. So they're expecting, it seems that the shipping lines are expecting a major growth in the Sino-U.S. shipping uh, amount. That's why they're making these changes. However, while making these changes, it caused chaos in the booking uh, system, and the, everybody's scrambling to get their containers and get their goods shipped out bef- before the uncertainty of the shipping lane uh, changes. So that's what caused the 50 to 100% overbooking. So they're John, expecting uh, to fix this problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, I, I think we probably got it. They're going to take care of it eventually, and if not, it'll just continue. Right. What's going on in North Korea last week uh, with regards oh, to right. uh, uh, you know all the stuff going on there? Yes, yes, a lot has been going on North Korea. Uh, a lot of uh, saber rattling, as they say. Well, including mm-hmm. on the North Korean side and the. Uh, uh, the other joint nations side, well, mostly the U.S. has sent a uh, nuclear carrier strike group to the Korean Peninsula. You probably heard about this in the news. And at the same time, not only did Trump send a nuclear carrier strike group, but at the same time, when uh, for military actions in Afghanistan and in um, Syria. Uh, a lot of the U.S. troops are using overkill methods, for example, dropping the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan on some guerrilla mm. fighters, uh, allegedly. Right. We believe this is really a show of force. Well, who are you showing the force to? It's probably North Korea. Uh, and North Korea, on the other hand, is uh, also the, the news media vowed merciless response to any provocation. Uh, so the, it's, it's the escalation uh, is getting pretty high as we as we see. And last uh, last just last weekend, it was the 105th birthday of North Korea's founding uh, general, General Kim Il Sung. Uh, the current leader is his grandson. So uh, the they had a, they had a parade, and the parade featured a lot of ballistic missiles that allegedly could fly to continental U.S., uh, that's what they say. Uh, on the other hand, 
what we have a, uh, a positive note is that also uh, on the, over the weekend, the North Koreans held their annual um, the People's Parliament meeting. And in this meeting, they declared that they will reestablish the Foreign Affairs Committee. This is basically North Korea's diplomatic arm. And this committee has been eliminated 19 years ago. So they never really had a diplomatic uh, committee for 19 years. Now they're reestablishing the committee, and it's going to be headed by several seasoned diplomats uh, who had positions uh, across the world in many Western countries as well in the past, and they are well known to South Korean diplomats. So what uh, this is probably not well reported in U.S., but what we are seeing here is probably a move for the DPRK towards dialogue and moving away from isolation and just escalation of force because uh, everybody should know there's really no end to this, to the escalation. No, it's so, just uh, dropping another bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so the, only, the only end of the escalation will be he'll get off one nuke before 157 ICBMs rain down and eliminate his entire country. It's a ridiculous amount of saber rattling. That going on, I understand yeah. that our Trump uh-huh. and your President Xi met. Uh, did they discuss any of this, or what were some of the other topics they tackled? Then? Oh, yes, they certainly discussed North Korea. In fact, according to Trump, this is one of the um, main topics uh, they discussed. She did not announce anything about North Korea, but we know that behind the closed doors, uh, Xi's team is working very closely with Trump's team on dialogue regarding North Korea. Um, regarding their meeting uh, the weekend before, they, there, there's a few things that came out. One is that they have established, officially established, what they call the four pillars of dialogue. Uh, number one is diplomatic security. This is really, I think, a dialogue for the security of the Korean Peninsula. And the other is economy. And the third is law enforcement and internet security dialogue mechanism. And the last is the social and cultural uh, dialogue. Uh, This last one will probably not, not affect us as much. And also, they have announced they will be close cooperation in dealing with North Korea. And Trump also said that, that China is no longer a currency manipulator and announced, jointly announced that they will hold 100 days of trade talks to discuss issues and come to an overall deal on uh, bilateral trade. Although the 100-day trade talks are just beginning, but... Over here on this side of the world, Chinese media is already reporting the plans of expanding trade, especially imports from the U.S., mainly food products, uh, commercials for U.S. Um, food products are on, could be seen on TV. Also expected are increase in import of oil, gas, and coal imports, uh, and also uh, it's believed that very soon they will come to a deal to open Uh, to the opening of China's financial services sector and high-tech industry sector for U.S. participation. So these are the things that um, we believe Trump and Xi came to agreement on, although there was no official announcement. Mm -hmm. 
I think well, that's very good. Uh, I, I think China, though, has some uh, issues that they are dealing with the same as we did, and that was that their labor cost is beginning to rise and that they're beginning to offshore their uh, lower-level jobs to Africa. They're putting a lot of money into Africa. And, uh, yes. you know, they're paying two and a half, three dollars $3 an hour in China. In the U.S. prisons, it's 16 cents, and somewhere in Africa, <laughs> about 50 to 75 cents. Uh, so they, too, understand the fact that they are probably more capitalist today than they ever thought or dreamed. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Uh, it is definitely, especially in the highly urbanized uh, seaboard of China, the uh, the wage salary uh, hikes has been quite steep in the past years. Um, yeah. Even with these salary hikes, the companies are, especially manufacturing companies, are having trouble uh, filling their uh, their HR requirements because a lot of the um, their workers now prefer to go back to their hometown in the inner land of China where um, agriculture production or uh, starting their own business could be more profitable and they will be closer to home. Right. So there right. is certainly a structural uh, change in, in this manner. China is no longer your default place for cheap labor. This is no longer the case. A lot of other labor markets are emerging. Uh, there are several options here. To, to uh, One option that many of the U.S. companies are adopting is they're adopting a China plus one option. So the, uh, for the lower labor cost, uh, lower technical required um, productions, they could move to other countries, uh, especially Southeast Asian countries, developing countries, that have uh, a large labor force is quite preferred. And then for some of the, uh, because they already have a production base in China, so for the final assembly, they move it to China. They move the goods to China for final assembly and then shipping to the end markets. And in most cases now that the end market is actually already in China. So they're assembling it here and selling it for a profit. Uh, the other hand, uh, another option, uh -huh. yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, another option is that some of the companies are moving to ro uh, roboticize, roboticizing, uh, or what's the term that you use? Uh, so robots are replacing workers. Yeah, we are hearing we are hearing a lot of that here in the U.S. and what it actually has uh, generated when you do the analysis after the fact when the robots are in place is that they created uh -huh. more tech jobs than any of the others. Uh, so we certainly appreciate you being on Manufacturing Talk Radio to report what's happening in uh, the Asian countries over there. Sorry we didn't get to Japan, but Japan's been a little quiet for a while. And we'll be back with yes. you next month, but thanks for joining us again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Okay, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Take, take care, Tom. So we hope you enjoyed listening to this show. We've had a lot of great guests on, a lot of great information. We'd like you to uh, feel free to listen to it as a podcast after we post it, uh, share it with your friends. But before we close out, I want to go to Lou Weiss and find out what we have coming up for you next week. Lou? Thank you. I uh, just want to talk about one of our guests that we're going to have on our show next week. Uh, we will have uh, multiple ones, but 
the ones that have signed up uh, going forward is Andrea Olson, who's from Pragmatic, pragmatic pragmatic.com, P-R-A-G-M-A-D-I-K.com. Little screwy spelling, but she's really a very bright gal, and she's uh, written a book called No Interruptions, the Future for Mid-Marketing Manufacturing. Um, She's a very bright gal. We spoke to her about uh, uh, what what she's doing in terms of uh, teaching uh, mid-market companies on how to market their companies. Um, Industrial marketing and communication. She's a consultant, director of Midwest Manufacturing Business Coalition, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the advancement of mid-market manufacturing in the United States. It seems like everybody all of a sudden is getting into manufacturing. It's a pretty hot topic. Yeah, it's a hot topic. The timing for us is like uh, really quite incredible. So we're we're looking forward to having her on. I did have a a pre-show discussion with her and a very bright gal looking forward to it. And I think that everyone who is a uh, small to medium-sized company, if you want to get some real great insight into the way you should be marketing your company in the new world that we're in, you've got to tune in to Manufacturing Talk Radio, mfgtalkradio.com. So that wraps us up for today's show. We look forward to having you with us next week. Again, Andrea Olson will be on the show. should be a great segment along with a couple of others. And we'll be back with you next Tuesday for Manufacturing Talk Radio at msgtalkradio.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.